This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saber, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Rambutan. Yes. Wow. Look up pictures for this one, all right? Yeah. Uh, They're so fun. (laughs) They're so so fun. (laughs) Yes. A lot of you have suggested this one. I am clueless <laughs> on it, honestly. I feel like I've seen them. I've seen them. Yeah. Um, and I think I've had, I think I might have had somebody had pre-peeled them before. Okay. Because uh, they're kind of like a white ball. Sure. Once you get out mm-hmm. of the, the wild outside. <laughs> um <laughs> But that's that's kind of the extent of my my knowledge before doing this research. Okay. I've I've definitely had some rambutan as like a like a topping on like like shaved ices. Um mm-hmm. and possibly it it's it's closely related to like to like a lychee lungan mm-hmm. situation and I've definitely had a bunch of lychee uh but yeah, there there was certainly a time where I think I was at like, I don't know, like the Buford Highway Farmers Market or something. And I was like, what the heck is that? I'm buying some <laughs> and figuring out how to eat them, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite things to do. Uh, uh, like, especially before we started doing this show and we started like reading about a lot of a lot of things that I haven't had a lot of exposure to. Like, that was sort of my my way of finding out about new stuff. I would just be like, I don't know what that is, but I want to eat it. Um, let's figure out how. Let's figure out how. Mm-hmm. And it is very eye-catching. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that that, that makes sense. Um, and I also have had a lot of lychee. So when I was reading this, I was like, okay. <laughs> um, okay. I think I've had, I've had something. I've had something in this realm before. Sure. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably 
Um, well, I guess this brings us to our question. I, I think it does. Mm-hmm. Rambutan. What is it? Well, uh, a rambutan is a type of fruit that grows on trees. They're small and roundish and have a sort of, of leathery skin that, yeah, is just really funky looking with, with these skinny, soft, curvy spines coming off in, in all directions. Like, do y'all remember koosh balls? Oh, yes. Sort of like that, like vaguely <laughs> like that, but a fruit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, the fruit inside is a translucent whitish in color and contains a single seed um, and is sort of like a like a table grape in flavor and texture, like sweet, tart and juicy and soft and a little jelly like with a little bit of crisp or crunch to it. Kind of just like just like really nice, like sort of sort of mild, bright, fruity floral. Yeah, um, it's like a it's like if a sea urchin were softer and contained fruit instead of containing sea urchin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so sort of, sort of like <laughs> a like a grape with a really fantastic hairdo. Yeah, yeah, it is a fantastic hairdo. It is. It's a little bit good for you, Rambuton. Right, a little bit punk rock. I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, botanical name: uh, Nephilium lapacium. Yeah, uh, the rambuton tree is a tropical evergreen in the Sapindaceae or soapberry family, related, yes, to lychee and longan. Um, the trees can grow up to about thirty meters or ninety feet in height, though they're often kept. To a, to a third or less of that size, and they have these uh these like smallish green yellow to deep green leaves that that grow in a really pretty crown. They're they're grown ornamentally as well as for for the fruit. Um, they flower in these big clusters of tiny yellow green buds that have no petals. Um, and and if pollinated, they can develop into heavy clusters of fruit. The fruits are yes round to oval, about the size of like a ping pong or or a golf ball. Like about five to seven centimeters, uh, uh, two plus inches across. Uh, but yeah, they also have this um, this spiky or spiny uh, protuberances coming off of the skin that 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 make them look almost twice as big. Uh, the skin will be green when they're immature and will turn golden or or pinkish ruby when they're ripe. Though the tips of the spines often stay greenish or golden until they're like very ripe. Yeah. Uh, and those long spines help the fruits regulate moisture in the tree's humid habitats. It uh, it just really increases the surface area of the skin, so it helps them uh, do what they're doing better. Those spines are sometimes called hairs, and I've read that rambutan and lots of other like local words for the plants are linked to local words for for hair or for hairy. Mm -hmm. uh, when they're green, if you've never seen them, but if you live in like the southeast uh, uh, portion of the United States, they really remind me of those really pesky gumballs um, from sweet gum trees. Mm. Heck, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Burning and fiery passion. <laughs> Your true nemesis. <laughs> now I know. Oh, yeah. No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, the, the skin of rambutans are, um, a little bit thicker than that of, of a, of a lychee or langan. Um, like, like you might want to use a knife, uh, instead of just your fingers to peel them. Uh, the fruit is a droop, like say, like say a plum or an apricot, yeah. Uh, so it'll contain a, a single oblong seed and the flesh around it will be the translucent, like milky white to kind of pinkish. Um, and you might get sort of like strawberry, grape, tropical sort of flavors from it. Yeah. 
real nice. Mm. Just so nice. Um, uh-huh. It's sold fresh or can be processed to remove the skin and the seed and then um, be canned in syrup, less often frozen. The fruits are fairly delicate, like those moisture-regulating spines can let them dry out real quickly when they're in less than a super humid forest. Uh, so uh, so canning has been a popular option, uh, although though uh, improved storing and shipping technology has increased like the range of availability of the fruit fresh. And they are eaten however you want to eat fruit. Yeah, uh, fresh out of hand, um, chopped into fruit salads or as a topping for desserts, perhaps especially frozen desserts like ices and ice creams. Or uh, you can cook them into savory soups or stews, perhaps especially curries, or use them in marinades to add a little bit of sweetness and acid. They can be muddled into fresh drinks or processed into syrups or preserved in jellies or jams. The seed is also edible once it's roasted. Um, I think it might be eaten as a snack in some places. Um, the, the oils, though, have traditionally been used in soap making and candle making, and it is definitely under investigation for processing forest oils, like as an, as an, perhaps as, as an additive or substitute for cocoa butter, uses like that. Yeah. And there is just a bunch of research into how the, the peels and the seeds might be used to um, to prevent waste because a lot of this stuff is canned um, and to make use of the compounds that are naturally produced by the fruits. Um, j- j- just for example, the antioxidant compounds in the peels are under investigation for um, for preserving fats and oils, um, like like as a replacement for synthetically produced antioxidants in the preservation of fats and oils. So that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, what about the nutrition? By themselves, rambutan are pretty good for you. Uh, high in fiber and water content, lots of nutrients, um, uh, micronutrients, I should say. They, they, they can help fill you up, though, to keep you going, I'd say pair with, a, with some protein and fat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we do have some numbers for you. We do. I've read that there are over 200 varieties of rambutan, um, but also that some researchers think that might be a little bit of an inflated statement because uh, different cultivars may be given, or rather the same cultivars may be given different names in different cultures. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the average annual production of rambutan in Southeast Asia between 2015 to 2017 was 1.4 million metric tons, uh, with Indonesia at the top, followed by Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, and the Philippines. However, I've also seen it very frequently reported in recent years that Thailand is the top producer. Yeah, um, and and I'm wondering, I didn't look too far into it, but I'm wondering, you know, because it's a crop and because of various uh uh weather and other natural related things uh if 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 right production is just kind of flip-flopped between those two places but yeah mm-hmm. i did not see a number specific for indonesia's production lately but i but i read that thailand produces about 280,000 tons a year um and that they've typically only exported about 5% of that maybe like 12,000 tons a year but that as of early 2022, exports were already hitting those numbers and were expected to, to about double throughout the year. Um, I don't know. Uh, outside of Southeast Asia, Thailand was exporting the most to the United Arab Emirates. 
And one more number from Thailand, a little bit more perspective into the fresh versus processed issue um, and why agricultural researchers have been looking into fresh rambutan's shelf life and into reducing waste products. Okay, um, as of 2004, Thailand was making like eight and a half times more money on processed rambutan than on fresh. Wow. So yeah, so was, there was just like a huge opportunity for this to be a growth area. Mm-hmm. Hmm. On a cultural note, um, there is a Rambutan festival during the harvest season every like July to August in um, Suratani, uh, Thailand. They have like a boat parade and bicycle races and various agricultural competitions and farm tours, a Miss Rambutan pageant, um, and agility demonstrations of monkeys. Oh. Yes. Because (laughs) in the area, trained monkeys have sometimes been used to like scramble up palm trees to collect coconuts. Um, Mm -hmm. Like there is a monkey training school in the province. So yeah. Monkey agility. Wow. Yeah. All right. Pretty into it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There is also a festival around the same time. uh, No monkeys involved that I'm personally aware of um, over in Hainan, China. Well, monkeys can get involved when you least expect is what I'll say. Uh, (laughs) Um. (laughs) From what I understand, they are difficult to work with. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually went to a park in Hong Kong, I think, where when you entered, they gave you a hockey stick. <laughs> and they said, keep the monkeys away. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. All right. For real. Serious business. Sure. Serious business. Um, one number I found suggested that Indonesians consumed an average of four kilograms of rambutan a year. Okay. Um, and this was from a report, a market report that was comparing uh, the consumption between Southeast Asia and Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so another number that they they had in their report was that demand has grown in recent years outside of Southeast Asia. So Europe, for instance, has been importing about 500 to 1,500 tons annually of rambutan, um, and this market is valued around 4 million euros. But there are still these limitations on handling and shelf life, kind of going back to your previous point. Um, But yeah, it's it's, uh, growing in popularity around the world. It is. Uh, And it has a history, a history of growing in popularity. (laughs) It does, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. 
Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. back thank you Spencer. yes thank you okay so this is another one where i didn't find as much information as i would have liked um however we do have we do have some things in here and as always if you listeners are privy to more information oh yeah uh, yeah more resources please let us know of course <laughs> yes uh okay but Rambutan most likely originated in Asia, perhaps specifically in the Malaysian-Indonesian area. And it does have quite a long but not at all clear history of being cultivated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Uh, In the early days, almost every part of Rambutan was used uh, medicinally in this area for a whole host of things. Um, The skin, like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, early records of Rambutan are sparse, um, especially when it comes to the record of cultivating it as an edible food crop. There are a few things we know. In Malaysia, for instance, people selected the seedlings of native Rambutan for an ambiguous but long amount of time. (laughs) Um, However, the first records of Malaysian cultivars don't pop up until the 1930s, and more on that in a second. Arab traders spread Rambutan up into the rest of Asia and over into the Middle East and Africa sometime between the 13th and 15th century or possibly much earlier. Um, Again, the records are lacking. Uh, European colonization further spread Rambutan soon after. In the 1600s, a Spanish botanist Juan de Quilar sent samples to Mexico for for propagation experimentation. And from there, over the next couple of centuries, Rambutan was brought to two different parts of Central and South America, the Caribbean, and Hawaii. Places like Costa Rica, Honduras, and parts of South America started cultivating Rambutan in the early 1900s. And they were present in the Philippines and Thailand by 1912. 
And in Australia, by the 1930s, again, could be much earlier, but that's when the records show. Mm -hmm. By 1939, they were growing in the Philippines, uh, a handful of cultivars on a commercial scale. Uh, And then, yeah, going back to that uh, Malaysia kind of late number showing up in the record of them, the cultivars being grown, um, the Malayan Department of Agriculture registered 32 clones of rambutan in 1952. By 1986, the number of registered clones was 62. However, only seven were recommended for the general public to plant. Yeah, and this was around when um, a a bunch of kind of kind of parallel crop experimentation things were going on uh, around the world. Uh, Crop experiments began in China in the early 1960s, and by 1967, Hainan Province um, had had some success at growing rambutan, though commercial production didn't really take off until the 1990s. Right. And people tried to grow rambutan seeds from Java to the southern U.S. in the early 1900s, but didn't really have any success with it. Um, It was introduced to Latin America and Mexico in the 1950s and 60s. And then waves of Asian immigrants to the U.S. brought rambutan with them around this time as well and sold them at Asian markets and included them in Asian dishes at restaurants. Um, However, they still remained relatively unknown throughout the country. Um, still, by the 1950s, the rambutan had more or less gone global. Um, while it was available, whether people knew about it or not, or what to do with it, that was a separate thing. It was, like, there. Yeah. But people didn't really know what to make of it if it wasn't something they grew up with. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, with increasing globalization and social media, though, rambutan has gained a following in communities where it was previously unknown. Um, in the U.S., People seemed to really catch on to it in 2016, but of course it was around before then. I also think that probably has to do with kind of that, we've talked about this, like Instagrammable foods. Yep, yep. It's a very It's very striking. striking. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of outlets did label it as a super fruit, which, you know, has got issues around that whole term, but they did kind of propel it more into into the limelight and make it something... More and more people knew about. Sure, um, yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, it's it's a matter of, like, extreme internet privilege for me to be able to sit here and say, like, oh, yeah, if I encounter a produce that I don't know anything about in a supermarket, like, I can buy it and then figure out how, like, like what to do with it. Like, in mm-hmm. ye olden times before Google, um, I, I, <laughs> I would have had to either just work it out for myself or try to find a reference book, like going to a physical library, perhaps, um, <laughs> uh-huh. or calling my like local cultural center or something like that. Um, but now, right, mm. it's it's at your feet. You can pull out your phone and go like, what the heck is this? How do how mm. do I what? And oh, OK. And very yeah. quickly arrive at that information. Yeah. That's true, because I've definitely done that at a grocery store before where I've been like, especially like during the pandemic when mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I needed another substitute for sure. something. It, it was out of whatever I needed. And then I find something I'm like, this looks similar. Is it? What is it? Can I use it? <laughs> no. OK, but I still want to get it and try it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a good point. Um, I would love to. I'm going to I'm going to search some out, I think. Um, they do look cool. They look they look like a wackadoodle thing you'd find in D&D to me. <laughs> to my like growing up experience. <laughs> they do. Yeah, yeah, no they they look I I feel like that's a 
Even even in places, I mean, write in and let me know if I'm off base here, but like they just look a little bit weird. Um, and, and so even if you're used to them, you're like, oh man, that's that weird looking thing I'm used to. Um, but it's still, mm-hmm. it doesn't, right. Like it's still kind of funky looking. It is. In a delightful and way. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listeners, if you've got recipes, if you've got tips, oh, you've got yeah. resources, you've got to let us if know. If you've got a memory. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> For some reason, at first, I was like, uh, now I get what you're saying. A specific <laughs> a memory. A specific memory, like, not just a memory at all. Memory. <laughs> yes. You could share any memories with us. You can. If you would like. Uh, but that's what we have to say about Rapidon for now. Uh, it is. And we do already have some memory for you uh, from our listener in mailbox, uh, uh, mailbox rather. But oh, yeah. First, we've got a couple of uh, more, more messages from our, from our sponsors. That's what we've got. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the Mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting Mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, Svante. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... No! 
spiky. Yeah. Well, my my uh, <laughs> dog, Dizzy, when I was growing up, she was very afraid of those coos balls. Coosh, oh. coosh, yeah, yeah. Coosh. Oh, she was afraid. Mm-mm. She would run and hide under the bed. Wow. Saw. Huh. Mm-hmm. She was a coward, but I... <laughs> <laughs> she once saw a dress hanging, just hanging from yeah. the door, and she ran as if that was it the for the day. The was yeah. coming. <laughs> but I'm also easily startled, so I can't judge. It's true. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Very easily startled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Hannah wrote. I really enjoyed the Joy of Cooking episode, and I've realized that these food-adjacent episodes have been some of my favorites. Betty Crocker, Michelin stars, fad diets, all good stuff. I've never used the Joy of Cooking, and I often get it confused in my head with the art of French cooking, although I really couldn't tell you why. My mom had an antique Betty Crocker cookbook my whole childhood, so that was the gold standard to me until I moved out of the house. I stumbled across a Better Homes and Gardens cookbook in a clearance section, and now that's my go-to. I love it because it has all my favorite foods in it, and the side notes are incredibly informative. I wrote a cookbook a few years ago, and that was a wild ride. (laughs) I helped run a small summer camp, and one of our regular retreat groups had been begging us for years to create a cookbook, and they all submitted recipes that they wanted included in it. I finally decided it would be worth putting together, so I spent months collecting and editing recipes, formatting, and designing the cover. The end result was... Amateurist at best. (laughs) We ordered 75 copies, thinking we would sell out in a year. It's been six years, and we still have 60 copies left. (laughs) But it got me on a kick of collecting and appreciating unprofessional cookbooks. So many churches, diners, camps, clubs, community organizations, etc. have made and published their own cookbooks as a way of fundraising and bringing people together. I love some of the subtle sass you can find. Like on opposite pages, you'll have Betty Lou's cream cheese dessert and someone else's the best cream cheese dessert. (laughs) I have a cookbook filled with apple recipes published by an apple orchard, and the whole book is cut into the shape Mm. of an apple. One cookbook I found had a recipe that includes an entire cow, an entire pig, an entire sheep, and a dozen chickens to cook a dish for several hundred people. Wild stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I, too, love – my mom has a lot of those, you know, like church Mm -hmm. cookbooks or things like that. I, too, love looking through them because they – I don't know. There's something about them that feels so kind of – you're getting a snapshot of something from someone's life. And I do love – you're right. There is some sass (laughs) where there will be very similar recipes on similar pages. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the title – like, I love when people put, like – the best cheese dessert or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, obviously no one gave you this and you're just putting it in there and I love you for it. Like yeah. You're just coming out strong. Right? Right? <laughs> right? Like, be confident in your cream cheese desserts. <laughs> right? And Betty Lou doesn't even know. Right? Like, I love it. It's so fun. <laughs> and they are interesting in, like, terms of, yeah, like, the the shapes of them and then especially once you go further back in time just what people were making and as we, oh, yeah. we spoke about in that uh the joy of cooking episode yeah just, it, it's a really interesting snapshot into what was going on yeah yeah they're they're so so localized and um and right right down to the to the printing conventions of the time mm-hmm. it's really fun like what kind of spiral 
binding you've got going on, what kind of typography. It, oh, yes. I love him. I love him. Me too. Me too. Uh, Sean wrote, your episode on Limburger cheese was very informative, but sparked some nostalgia between my wife and I. We live roughly an hour away from Monroe, Wisconsin. A sidebar, Monroe, Wisconsin is the home of cheese days every other year or even years. Um, imagine over 100,000 people descending upon this quaint little Swiss heritage town for a weekend of beer, polka, cows, and cheese. It boasts the honor of the oldest food festival in the Midwest. So, uh, when my wife and I had our first date, I decided to plan out a traveling, food-filled date. I picked her up. Um, at the time, she was 20 minutes from Monroe, and we headed to Dragon Popcorn, a local popcorn shop in Freeport, Illinois, uh, since closed, where we tasted what I believe was the best gourmet popcorn around. Uh, we used them as party favors for our wedding. Stop two was heading to Monroe to Baumgartner's. Um, Baumgartner's is the oldest cheese store in Wisconsin and a tavern, too. The charm of Baumgartner's is that it's an old-style pub with beautiful art on the walls, Swiss decor, and a ceiling covered with money. Um, you can donate money where, where they wrap it in a washer and throw it to try to get it to stick to the ceiling. Right before cheese days, they pull down the hall and donate it. The tavern is a sandwich shop, and we ordered our sandwiches and beers. When we placed the order, I asked my wife if she had ever had Limburger. Um, when she responded to the negative, I ordered a side of the cheese. While we waited, I told her to be prepared and that it smelled like feet. She wasn't impressed, and even less impressed when she put the slice on her tongue. She asked me why I did that. Um, I told her something about how everyone needs to experience it. The cheese was served with a chocolate mint, which she ate quickly afterwards. <laughs> Note, I like the cheese. Uh, following this adventure, we headed to um, Minus Brewing, uh, where at the time they included unlimited samples of beers after the tour. The beer is not very good, but the quantity makes up for it. <laughs> Obviously, we are married now, uh, despite my inadvertent sabotage of the date with the stinky cheese. On another note, your lettuce episode sparked a fun fact that I use at mixers. Uh, I typically ask, who was the largest purchaser of kale in the 1990s? After many guesses, I dropped the fact that Pizza Hut was, uh, since they used it to garnish their salad bars. Thank you for all that you do, and if you ever make it to the Midwest, I'd be happy to buy you both a cheese sandwich and a beer in Monroe. Ooh. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Sold. We're going to have so many so many cheese sandwiches coming our way. It's going to be amazing. Oh, man. I will take every single one of them. Let's go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> also, this sounds like a lovely date. Right? Um, That's great. You know, stinky, stinky cheese. I love, uh, so many of you have sent in these kind of like meeting stories over food. And I love the kind of like, yeah. oh, I wanted you to try the stinky cheese. It was right <laughs> Even if you dislike it, it's still an experience, right? Right. Love it. It is an experience, and it's something you remember. And I'm glad that you ended up together yes. despite the, the cheese. Um, or maybe because of the cheese, sure. you know? That might sell me. I'd be like, okay. All right. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> but yes, this is a lovely story. I'm very, very excited to try Limburger. Um, cheese days cheese days I know oh my gosh that sounds right up our alley Mm. you know and dragon popcorn bummer close right oh yeah yeah ooh Mm. well (laughs) (laughs) 
pour pour one well, out for the for the lost popcorn, Annie. <laughs> yes, I will. It's Mardi Gras today, after all. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. Well, thank you to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. 